Tell me about those first, that first year when you arrived in Europe, wanting to follow that passion mm -hmm. and then being straight into the pro peloton. How did you feel? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of sort of, you know, the progression, my progression in cycling has a lot to do, I suppose, with the numbers, really. Um, so the way that I actually broke into cycling as such was by doing a power test. So it's actually almost quite applicable, you know, coming from an engineering background, which is all about analytics and problem solving and numbers. Well, that's pretty much been um, the reason for my rise in pro cycling. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I recognized my talent at university, first started just by racing sort of league races in the area, um, fun rides and stuff like that. And then university championships, you know, we have mm. like university champs, you know, won that, you know, s sort of started to realize, okay, I have some potential here, you know, then started winning some national races, performing well at the national championships. And then, um, as I said, in my final year at engineering, had the opportunity to race in Ardesh, um with the, with the club team. And I came over to Ardesh. I, I got properly, um, you know, <laughs> solidly messed up there, you know, crashed and bike changes on a bike that was too big for me and all sorts of stuff. But I absolutely fell in love with yeah. European pro cycling um, in that tour. And I realized this, this is for me, you know, this is where I want to be. I don't want to be racing in South Africa. So the very next year is when, you know, I made that step to come over and to, and to give it a shot in Europe. And Giro was actually pretty much my second race, you know, after arriving in Europe, because I also had the challenge of breaking my collarbone in October of 2019 and again in February of 2009 and then again in February of 2010 oh my gosh. at the Tour of New Zealand, which was supposed to be my first sort of international race. So, yeah, I mean... Same collarbone. Same collarbone, yeah, because there was a plate, you know. Oh, so yeah, you yeah. know how that happens. You know, first time, break it, put a plate in. Second time, breaks at either end of the plate. So... Mm. Anyway, so I had to take some time to come back from that, and so Giro was sort of my first race overseas. Unbelievable. You were just listening to the story that I did last week with Ashley Moulman Passio, the story about her rising up through the Women's World Tour, but also about her story as well, what she's doing off the bike here over in Spain with their great business, the Rocker Corba Cycling, and a whole lot more. If you haven't heard that episode, like always, get across to the cycling podcast, check it out, have a listen. I'm sure you're going to love it. Right now, we've got Talking Luft. Before we get up and away, I have to make mention that if you haven't seen it already, the Life in the Peloton Rafa collaboration kit is up online and ready to rock and roll. There's a short sleeve jersey, a long sleeve jersey, there's Nick's socks, there's a musette. It's all over at the rafa.cc website. Get over there, check it out. If you haven't got some, be sure to grab something from that bundle because I know you're going to love it. If you haven't got a cap, the caps are over at lifeinthepeloton.com. They're the Life in the Peloton caskets. They match that kit as well. If you don't have the kit, you can still wear the cap. So get across to lifeinthepeloton.com and grab yourself a hat too. I'll stop going on here and I'll let you listen to this episode. So sit back and enjoy it. Ashley Mullen Passio talking a bit of Luft. Well, here we are, Talking Luft, with none other than Ashley Moorman Passio. Welcome to Talking Luft. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get straight into it. Cycling caps. So the caskets, the small little hats, and I wasn't aware that sometimes um, you can have a lady's cycling cap which has a little hole for the ponytail. 
Yeah, well, most of the time we make our own hole, yeah. <laughs> if I'm totally honest. You yeah. know, you take the scissors and we cut it out. But, um, yeah, it's nice to hear. I haven't yet seen one with with a hole included, but I'm happy to hear that there are some around. Tell me, how do you wear yours? Do you wear it forwards, backwards, peak up, peak down? What's your style? Yeah, I mean, I'd say peak up, definitely forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, usually the ponytail through a hole. Um, in, a, in a cycling con- context... I think they're really useful in the rain. So, you know, I always have one in, in my bag. Definitely helps if you have the peak. You know, it stops, I don't know, it just stops all the splash of, of water and helps protect especially your glasses and stuff. So I definitely feel that they're useful. But they're also a great fashion item. So on the podium, peak, peak up, up with the ponytail out. Yeah, that's nice. the way I wear it. Okay, if you could have raced back in the day, back in the 90s, before helmets were around, well, they were around but not many people wore them, what would your style been? Like, would you have gone like a, a, a cap with a peak up? Would you have gone backwards cap because it was really fast? Would you have worn one of those sausage helmets, those leather <laughs> helmets? Or would you have just done like a hairband with like the hair like flowing in the wind? Well, whatever. I don't know. What would your style have been? Think about well, on I'm the thinking... climb, doing the Rocker Corba climb or something like that. Tell me. Hmm. I'm thinking headband. Headband. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's my style. <laughs> yeah. But if I really think about it logically, then I think... Yeah, the value of helmets is quite important these days. I've had a head injury once before, so I wouldn't like to be back there. But um, yeah, let's put that aside. Yes, put of the course. sensible side aside and headband. We're just talking pure style now. Headband's the yeah. way I'd go, definitely. Yeah. Nice, I like it. Okay, favorite kit of all time and favorite team of all time, but they could be together. It could be like, I love that team and their kit and the, the roster. The, or you just could be like, I hated that roster, but I absolutely love their kit. Vice versa, what is it? What is that team out there? Male, hmm. female, whatever it is. Well, I I have to actually say, but I suppose our team is maybe, you know, following in the footsteps, but uh, quick step, you know, mm. De Koenig's quick step. I love the fact that, you know, you just, ne- you never know who's going to win or they just keep pulling out surprises. The you wolf know? pack. The, <laughs> yeah, the wolf pack. So that side of it maybe I don't like so much, you know, because okay. it's very masculine and I'm trying to kind of push push women cycling forward. So the whole wolf pack thing, maybe not my thing, but I like <laughs> I like the way that, you know, they seem to win with, you know, different riders, riders that obviously they have their dominant riders, of course, mm. like Ale Philippe is one of them, of course. But, you know, I, I, I like the way that that they mix it up, you know. Sometimes, you know, uh, one of their workers just ends up winning or, you know, mm. you'd never know um, what could quite happen. And I suppose SD Works is kind of following in the footsteps now mm. where we have we have what you'd call, I suppose, a super team and uh, we have a couple of riders that could win on the day. So I, th- I suppose it's quite a similar dynamic in a way. What about the kit? Do you like the, do you kit. Like the quick step kit? No, no, no. no. So kit. What about the SD Works kit? Yeah, I like the SD Works kit. I think, um, you know, we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, but so is it your pinnacle kit? I'm talking about all time. Well, purple is my favourite colour. Right. <laughs> so it's it's coming pretty close, but... problem for you is you're too many times national champ. You always just yeah. got the white. Exactly, you know? I know. So actually, I have to be honest with you, I was quite happy this year that I could wear the purple kit because for the first time in my entire cycling career, I can really say I, I actually like our team kit, you know. So this year to wear the purple has been pretty nice, you know. Of course, it's always an honour to wear your country flag, but it does get boring mm. if you're wearing it, mo- it just about every year. So nice. purple kit's been pretty cool for me. But I suppose the leaders in terms of that, and so before our team now with the purple kit, I would say Canyon Stram, you know, their oh, kit yeah, has yeah. always been pretty nice and and. 
what I like about it is that it's the kind of kit that is not so obvious, you know, that it's team kit, you mm. know. So it's th the type of kit that, you know, everyday people are also quite keen to, to buy. So, yeah, and I suppose EF did a, a similar thing. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely the kit leaders. Nice, good ones. All right, favourite race of all time. Maybe it's one you've done, maybe it's one you haven't done. What's your race that you love? Well, the race that I love um, is, is actually Flesh Wallon. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've finished in the top 10 just about every edition I've taken part in. I've finished second, third, fourth, fifth, never first. <laughs> so it's still one I'd like to win. Why is it my favourite race? Uh, I don't know. Like You just love killing yourself for five minutes. Yeah, end. it's not quite five minutes, but How long um, is it? no, I'd say it's closer to four, three, yeah, right. three something. Um, I just love that. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe I'm I'm a sucker for punishment, to be honest. But um, yeah, that just really steep climb up the Mir de Hoy, and yeah, usually it's lined with people, and I think just the energy of that, you know, all the people shouting, and you're you're suffering, but somehow you block that suffering or that pain out because the people are sort of carrying you up the climb. Um, so that was a bit of a change now with the COVID and not mm. having the people on the climb. It's just a suffer fest. Then it's just a suffer fest. So maybe it changes things a little bit. But yeah, it's just one of those races that, that I've always loved. Great. Crosswinds or mountains? Mountains. <laughs> Training or racing? Uh, what if I like both? <laughs> Tell me why. Well, you see, the thing is, with my whole engineering mind, training is something I'm very good at. You know, I'm very good at um, chasing numbers, executing, you know, performances. I'm very good at doing tests, which is maybe not mm. something that all cyclists like. So, and I suppose what I like about it is that it's on my terms, you know, so I can decide where I'm doing it and I have, I suppose, more control. So just what we were talking about on the previous podcast, you know, I'm kind of the type of person that likes to, to have some control of things. But I've had to learn to let go of that a little bit. And that's been quite a nice challenge for me as a person and as a rider is to sort of let go of control and those type of things and just be in the moment. Mm. And so I, I, I would say I've, I've done quite well at, at really, yeah, just enjoying being in the moment. And, and for that reason, racing is really cool, you know, just the adrenaline. Like a really good example is, let's say, Flanders, you know, um, where, uh, you know, approaching um, the the... Eau de Quaramont, you know, you always have this really fast descent and it's not really the best descent for me as a rider because mm. it's, it's, you know, huge straight, road, yeah. huge road, fast, you know, your weight is definitely a big advantage there and I'm, I'm, I'm a lightweight rider. So it's always quite a stressful moment for me, you know, trying to be in the right position on this descent because you literally almost go from the descent into the entrance of, of the Quaramont. So it's quite stressful for me and I just remember... Like, I suppose it was, I think it was 2018, actually, where I was really in crap positioning, coming on down this descent, and I'm thinking to myself, shit, 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 I need to be in the right position because we're hitting the Quaramont. And then just at the last moment, this gap opened mm. on the side, and I took it, and the I... The waters parted. Yeah, the waters parted, and I attacked, and I was actually solo up the... Well, Anna van der Brecken was solo up the road, but I was solo in pursuit of her. And as a, as a light rider, you know, being solo on the Eau de Quaramont, you know, that's quite an achievement, you know, yeah. in itself. So 
it's just that feeling and, and that like adrenaline rush you, you get, you know, that stress, that moment of stress. And then all of a sudden this massive rush that you get from, you know, the waters passing, parting and, and you're attacking, you know. I, I love that feeling. Hasn't happened to me yet. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you a coffee stop girl or are you not? And if you do stop, where, what do you get when you stop? Yeah, I'm a coffee stop person. Mm-hmm. I love coffee. Um, and yeah, I have to say I have a, I have a real um, yeah, weakness for r- rich things like... Mm. Um, well, like a mud cake. Yeah, chocolate brownies or mud cake <laughs> or... What you, do you get here then? Like cause it's not often... Like you stop at the little cafes around here, like, you know, the small country towns. Yeah, it's not, not, there are not many with good mud cakes or, no. or good chocolate brownies. What do you get around here? So I have to say, La Comuna has a, a pretty good chocolate brownie, so they're a good option. So you would just make sure you always stop there. <laughs> no. Or you just don't stop. No. Okay. So I have to be honest. If I'm if I'm really doing a serious training ride, then I don't stop for coffee. Okay. You know. So it has to be a coffee ride. You know, to actually stop. A recovery ride. Yeah, a recovery ride usually. Occasionally on like a long ride, maybe I'd stop. But then it has to be a really good coffee stop because it has to be worth it, right? So then they have to have something good. And yeah, I haven't really come across many on the coast or out in the countryside. So yeah, I would say most of the time it's a recovery ride. So opposite to all the other pros, my recovery ride is to Girona. So I do a coffee stop ride to Girona, whereas all the Girona pros are coming to Banyoles. Right. What coffee do you drink? Are you a milk coffee? Are you a, you know, what do you, what's your coffee ritual all day? You know, you wake up, have a cappuccino, you move into espresso, or do you start with a filter? What's your coffee ritual? So I like milk, mm-hmm. um, but I also don't like too much, you know. So like if I'm, if I'm at a cafe, then like flat white is better than cappuccino because it's at least a double shot, you know, and less foam or mm-hmm. less milk but it still has that like nice marriage of, of the espresso and the milk. Nice. Um, but if I'm at very, home... Very uncommon, that, that perfect marriage in a lot of the Spanish bars around here. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're mainly on verging on divorce sometimes, exactly. that combination. Yeah. <laughs> and the coffee bean choice is also not, yeah. not always that great. Um, but if I'm at home, then I like to, to use the, I suppose you'd, I call it the Bialetti, but that's a brand, but it's the mocha pot. Like if I mm. speak to the Italians, mm. then they always tell me it's the mocha pot. Yep. So I like to use the mocha pot um, at home to make a really strong coffee. I like strong coffee. Do you water then, it down after you brew it up or just nope, straight up? Straight up with nice. some milk, oh. full cream milk. I hate 2%. Mm. It's a waste of time. A waste of time. And I always like to warm up the milk because I hate cold cold coffee. Mm. So. Lovely. Okay, good one. I like it. <laughs> What's your drink? What's your poison? What do you go to? Are you like a wine or are you beer or you just maybe would say sparkling water? What's your... <laughs> sparkling water is in season, peak season uh, drink of choice, but it's definitely not not my poison of choice. <laughs> I don't want to assume that everyone's just a big alcoholic like me, yeah. but you know. Red wine. Nice. Definitely. Um, but yeah, gin and tonic is also oh, something I, in, I enjoy and yeah, sometimes, sometimes get a bit too carried away. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Do you like to train with a group or train alone? I, yeah, I do a lot of training on my own or with my husband, I suppose. Um, but if it's a long ride, it's always nice to join a group, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but interval training, different solo. story than solo, yeah. 
what is your favorite training loop? And like someone out there is going to know it. Probably most likely a lot of people know the loop around here. I'm assuming it might be here, but it could be back in South Africa or it could be somewhere else. You've done a loop that you go, you know what? I love that loop. That is just my loop. My favorite loop here is actually, um, it's a really beautiful ride. Um, it goes sort of Bajet, Camperdon and back. So it goes sort of foothills of, of the Pyrenees. What's your baguette? Yeah. 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 And it's tough ride. It's a tough one, yeah. But it's just so beautiful. And, um, you know, also the roads are just so quiet. You know, so you, sometimes you just feel like, you know, the roads were, were paved just for you. You head from here, for anyone listening, you head out from Banyolas, I guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you head up, um, you just go on the main road on the way to Besselou. Yes. From Besselou, you cut off, and then there's a turn off to Oish. Mm -hmm. which then it gets beautiful. It's yeah. really quite hard climbing and you climb up, descend down to Baguette and mm -hmm. then you do another climb from yep. there. And what, what do you do when you get to Camperdon? You don't head up to Voltaire, do you? You just skip no, down? No, I haven't yet added Voltaire to the equation. Usually it's Camperdon and then straight home. And then I suppose sometimes the... The home Olot. is a little bit of a slog. Mm. Yeah, depending which way you choose. Olot is the better way to go because then it's it's more interesting, you know. Over so Camperdon, Capsacosta, right? Yeah, um, Santa Pau. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then it's quite nice sort of winding through the countryside again um, and then you drop down in into Banyoles. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it's a really beautiful ride and, yeah, also it's a it's – it's more accessible, I suppose, from Banyoles. From mm. Girona, it's a little bit longer. Another, hour, another yeah. two hours. Another maybe, two yeah. hours. So, I mean, from here, it's it's usually a long ride, a five-hour ride or so. But, um, yeah, I just – I love mm. being out in the mountains in, in the countryside. What is your best bike? You've had a lot of bikes in your time, but what's that one bike that sticks in your memory? You go, oh, I just love that bike. You know, it was just fast. It was, you know, whatever. I love the style of it. What's your best bike? Well, this is now another interesting one because <laughs> before I joined SD Works, I would have said for sure Cervelo. So right. Cervelo R5. I really love the Cervelo R5. And I spent quite a, a big chunk of my career on a Cervelo R5. Um, but now on Specialized, oh, they, come, they come pretty close. I mean, the, the Specialized Tarmac SL is, is a pretty special bike. It's, it's a real beast. Um, and I've never ridden a Specialized, but I can only imagine they're very good. Like, because they're just, they're always at the top end of the market. You know, everyone, all the teams that are riding them are doing very well. So, yeah, yeah I can only hear what you're saying. Well, it's an interesting one. I mean, the, the thing about Specialized is that they really prioritise high performance, you know. So I think it it's a brand that... Um, it's not, it's not necessarily about um, big volumes, you know, although it does very well as a cycling brand, you know, they, they really stay true to, to high performance. So I just love the way that the bike, there's just such synergy, you know, um, in the bike because often what can happen with bikes is that um, there isn't a good connection between mm. the different parts of the bike, you know, so you have the frame that's designed, you know, f to achieve certain objectives and then you have the wheels and then the, the um, stem, but now, you know, it's moving more towards like integration. Mm. And I think Specialized has done that really well, you know, because I have been on bikes before where, you know, the, the frame in combination with the wheels in combination with the stem, for example, just doesn't work, mm. you know. And especially as a climber, I really feel that there's quite a, 
there needs to be synergy between, you know, you know, the bike part, but then the bike and the body, because mm. you, you do spend quite a lot of time sort of out the saddle, you know, throwing the bike around, you know, and if your bike is, is too stiff, um, then it can just be a terrible experience, you know, or all of a sudden. Versa. Too soft, like a piece exactly. of Exactly, so there needs to be that knee. perfect yeah. balance, because often now in the cycling industry, there's almost too much focus on stiffness and lightweight, mm. but if they're over-engineered, then they don't work, especially for, for climbers, because then suddenly you, your body is fighting the bike rather than the bike moving with the body, you know, mm. becoming an extension of the body. So um, I, I really love the way that Specialized has managed to, to get that perfect balance, you know, between, you know, all the moving parts. And, okay, we, we specialized with Zip, you know, and I know Specialized has their own, you know, wheel brand, obviously Roval, but it all, the bike just works so perfectly together. What size bike do you have? I have a, a 49. That must be so light, your bike. I can just looking at it now. How much does that weigh? Obviously, it has to weigh at the limit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so this is also the interesting thing uh, as a light rider is that um, that's, you know, with this minimum bike weight rule, this is another <laughs> topic of conversation. You know, I, I'm really annoyed with the fact that that rule still exists because I believe it's really outdated and actually sexist. Um, mm. You know, because as females, like I, you know, I weigh 49 right now. So that's my kind of aggressive race weight, which means that 6.8 kgs, I, I, I'm convinced it's, it's based on, on the average weight of a male, which I would say is probably 68 kilograms. So we're mm. talking 10% of, of, yeah, right. of body weight. So now if I'm, I'm a bit above average, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm 49, it means I should be riding a 4.9 kg bike. Okay, oh, maybe that's, that's not... that's not a bad theory. Maybe Is that what it's based off? I didn't know that. That's that's my calculation. That's my logic. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't had confirmation from Could the Could you UCI. get your bike to 4.9? I think maybe I'm pushing it. Oh, my it, gosh. But I think it's possible to get like 5.4 cool. or so. Now with disc brakes, it's changed things a little bit, mm. but I'm actually quite happy about that because the, the reality is, is that with this rule that does still exist... Um, a lot of my bikes are, have been in the past without um, the discs, have been underweight. And then the reality is that you have to add weight to it. But the weight can't be visible to the, to the human eye. That's the UCI rule. So often what happens is that we put the weight down the seat tube and mm. it falls down to sort of the bottom bracket, which is, makes dead sense. Weight. unusable it's weight. Exactly, mm. dead weight. So it changes the entire dynamic mm. of the bike. And especially as a climber where I like to get out of the saddle, then as soon as you stand out of the saddle, that dead weight, weight is so prominent. It's like your whole bike is just kind of pulling you backwards. Mm. So I, I really don't enjoy that. So, you know, um, at the moment, the Specialized with disc brakes is just right on target at 6.8. So it's perfect, you know. Perfect. Tell me, I reckon you might have a good one, a war story. And a war story is, in cycling terms, that story, that day, you know, it's just... Typically, Giro Day. Mm -hmm. um, they've always got a million war stories, but yours might be a classic. It might even be a training day, whatever it is. One of those days where you just go, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Tell me yeah. about that day. Strada Bianchi. Here we 2018, go. was it? it yeah, I think it's, it's 2018. Mm. Um, it, the weather was atrocious. Like, literally, there'd been snow uh, the days um, leading up to the Strada. Did you ride that one? I didn't ride no. it, no. And it there was a lot of talk of whether the race would happen or not um, because of the weather conditions. And in the end, it went ahead. And on the day, you know, with the women's start of Bianchi, we start pretty early uh, because we need to finish before the men. So we usually start around 9 a.m. 
And so with all this cold weather and the snow, the snow had melted to the most part, um, but it meant that there was still a lot of like some ice on the road, mm. on the sides of the road. So we had rain at 9 a.m. in the morning and it was just literally like ice water being splashed up on us. Um, and so it was so cold and then at the same time, wet conditions, the gravel, you know, all the gravel, we couldn't ride with, with glasses on because just couldn't see, you know, on, on those gravel After roads. For 100 metres. Exactly. Yeah. And so I just remember getting to the end. My eyes were swollen and red, you know, from all the gravel that was inside of them. It took me days afterwards to get really? all the gravel out of my eyes. And it just had been one of those days where I, my core temperature, like my body core dropped pretty early on. And it was just a fight all day long to try and like, you know, even just mentally in, in my mind saying, okay, Ashley, you can do this. You can do this. Keep going, keep going, you know. Um, and then just towards the end, you know, I was, I think it was Anna that, that was away solo and she didn't even attack on a hard part of the, of the course. It was just literally on like a downhill, you know, because of the weather conditions that she just slipped away. And so I was in the chase group, select group, I think of about 10 of us or something. And then just as we were entering um, uh, Siena again, uh, one of the riders thought we had to turn to to the right and actually we were supposed to continue around the roundabout so at the last minute she kind of realized and and changed her direction and I was caught on just like following her so I had a crash oh and no. oh, it was just one of those days where everything went wrong and I think in the end I still did finish in the top 10 but it was just it was just an achievement to finish to be honest one of those days you just question at the end of a guy why do I do this <laughs> exactly <laughs> last question What's the best thing about riding a bike for you? For me, um, I would say freedom, you know, the freedom of being out on the road. But I'd also say for me, it's also about like kind of what it represents in terms of, you know, empowerment. Like for women, I know this sounds a bit cliche, but, um, you know, for myself in particular, you know, I, I coming into, into cycling, you know, I wasn't necessarily a very um, self con not self convinced. I didn't really have a lot of self belief, you know. Um, so I was a little bit, you know, I was shy, not nearly as outspoken as I am nowadays. And um, cycling really played a huge role in in my life in terms of building my confidence mm. and forming the person that I am today. So for me, it has been some kind of a form of like empowerment. I've mm. I've not only become a stronger person physically, but also you know, the person that I am in terms of my convictions and who I am as a person. Great, great answer. Well, thank you for being on Talking Loft. Thank you. There we have it, guys. Another Talking Loft. Like I said at the start of the episode, get across to rafa.cc and check out the Rafa collaboration kit that we did there. Awesome Life in the Peloton Rafa kit. It's exactly what you'd want riding a bike. I know that for sure because I love that kit. I helped design that. The caps are over at lifeinthepeloton.com, so get across and check them out. We're on a little break now while the Vuelta Espana's on, but straight after the Vuelta, there's going to be some more Talking Loft, more Life in the Peloton episodes over on the Cycling Podcast. So hang in for a couple of weeks, enjoy the racing, and we'll speak to you just after that. A massive shout out has to go to our new sound editor of Talking Luft, Simon Kane. As you guys can hear, he's doing an awesome job. The quality is awesome. Thanks, mate. Really loving it.